Seventh-day Adventists have a unique challenge when it comes to acting because I have a lot of Christian friends in the acting community, strong people of faith of all other denominations whose church and whose family and their community always supported acting. Yeah, acting and dance are the two art forms that our college programs do not offer. And they shun or they push away or or they just don't feel that it's as important as music. Music is deeply entrenched. And it's just a fascinating study to see how the Seventh-day Adventist Church has fully embraced music when all the challenges that dancers face and that actors face are also faced by musicians. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Pictures Up, the podcast where we discuss careers in film. Today, we are talking with actor, Atlanta-based actor, Maria Sager. Boy, I had such a good interview with her, and I had a really, really hard time cutting down this episode because there's so much good stuff in it. Ultimately, I've decided to release it in two episodes. So this is going to be a two-parter. If you're interested in pursuing an acting career, this is definitely one you should tune into. But more than that, uh, this is really a story of somebody working to integrate their faith into a career that can be not always the easiest path to to navigate for a person of faith. So uh, Maria has really a lot to say about that and uh, definitely lots of good food for thought on that front. You have been acting as long as I've known you. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember? Or at least sort of... acting up. <laughs> <laughs> if I couldn't act. Yeah. <laughs> so do you remember what sort of sparked that initial interest? You know, I can't really put my finger on it other than when I was a child, um, I grew up under difficult circumstances and in a very challenging neighborhood, in a very challenging public school system. Um, We were low income, you know, in that kind of a setting. And all of the beautiful and and difficult and challenging things that come in in such a upbringing. And, uh, you know, one of my escapes was television. And I just used to watch a lot of Shirley Temple, a lot of The Little Rascals. And I just saw these children who were dancing and singing and and just pretending to be someone else. And I think that kind of connected with also my, my own inherent or natural inclination to just kind of pretend a lot and kind of disappear into a world of pretend. And maybe it wasn't an effort to escape, but also... I don't know. I just found other people fascinating and I found other places fascinating. I think all of that just kind of melded together. And at some point when I was about eight or nine, I I wanted to be some sort of a performer. But um, I just didn't I, I didn't know how to access that or how to get there and and I certainly didn't think that that was po- a possibility for me because I was extremely introverted. 
I had no friends, and I just never saw myself being up front in front of people. So, but I think those were the initial seeds for it. And also, my parents—they um, they watched a lot of Spanish language television, and in those days, they um, they would air productions from Spain, and a lot of them were theater productions like Lorca Productions. I mean, that's some really heavy stuff for a kid to be watching. So you mentioned L- Lorca. I don't, I don't know anything about that. What, oh, okay. What is that? So Federico Garcia Lorca is okay. um, Spain's Shakespeare. And he was a playwright, a poet, a writer uh, during the Spanish Civil War. Yeah, so I was watching those plays. <laughs> so it was, it was heavy stuff. For a it kid. was really heavy yeah. stuff, but boy, you know, I was really drawn in. I don't know that I necessarily had that I knew that that's what I wanted to do with my life, but that there was a draw or there was a pull, it was there. So from it sounds like a really early age, there was an affinity there or an attraction there. Absolutely. When was the first moment that you were able to act on that in some way? When I was an adolescent, I became friends uh, with a guy at my church who was a part of a quartet. He was a friend of mine, only a couple of years older than I was, and he just shared all his music with me, and he encouraged me to sing and coached me and got me to start singing up front at church. Um, but my church is, was this little tiny church made up of uh, Latin American immigrants, and it was loud, and so you'd be singing or speaking up there, and there's all this racket going on, children, and it was really a lovely experience, and I would say that that was my first experience, Um, but for some reason, I did not consider that as performance. It's really odd. I didn't consider it a performance. I'm, I'm not sure. I just considered it as... This is the thing to do at church, and, and that was it. I Like, I never imagined that I would do that outside of church. And it wasn't until my senior year in high school that there was a talent show, and a friend of mine asked me to do a number with her, a musical number. And I think it was the first time that I was in my mind, that I was on stage and that I performed for an audience that was there to be entertained. I I think I made the distinction, one wasn't, what happened at church wasn't entertainment. Um, But little did I know, it was just kind of planting the seeds there for being in front of an audience. How did it feel? Easy. Mm. It felt easy and it felt great and it felt... I I didn't feel uncomfortable or anxious about it, but I didn't put I didn't put anything together. It was just something that I did. Um, what do you mean you didn't put anything together? As in, you I didn't I, prepare. Or I, I oh, I see what you're asking. Uh, no, we did prepare. Okay, <laughs> but uh, didn't I didn't make put a connection. The, yes, I didn't make a connection. Got you. At that moment in time that this was something that I could do or that I could study or that I could pursue. It was just it was just not in the cards for me. I think my mom early on in my childhood, I used to ask her and beg her for a tap dancing lessons. Mm. Because I wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted to be a tap dancer. 
Uh, I watched a lot of musicals on PBS, and um, I just wanted to be a part of that. But my mom told me early on that I could have piano lessons, but dance was out of the question, and that being a performer was out of the question because we were Christian, and that was just something that you did not do. So I think maybe that kind of put it in my mind that I couldn't do this as a profession. So when when did you actually start doing some something that would be considered acting? It wasn't until, well, here's the thing, is that I was headed to Rutgers. And what's interesting is that my acceptance letter from Rutgers University said they couldn't accept me as a full-time student. They could only accept me as a part-time student and that I had to take remedial English language classes. And I didn't understand. And then I later found out that Maria Rodriguez, they're a dime a dozen <laughs> there in New Jersey. Mm. And so, you know, my the, there's no reason that I could, I mean, a, remedial English classes. I mean, I'm practically born and raised here in the United States. Right. So um, they got my application confused with another student. So while I was waiting for that to be sorted out, I had sent off an application to Southern just in case somebody's listening who doesn't uh, know what Southern is, yeah, what's Southern? And, and explain the dichotomy a little bit more between the schools. Sure. My parents became, or I should say my mother became a Seventh-day Adventist. Um, so I grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist. And the couple that introduced my mother to the Seventh-day Adventist church became my adoptive foster grandparents. We, we came down to visit them. They took us to the campus. They introduced us to the school. And they got me an app, like a packet, just in case I was interested in going to Southern. So, but yeah, I tossed it off as, yeah, sure, no. <laughs> this is in the middle of nowhere, and I'm, I'm basically in Manhattan, and why would I ever leave Manhattan? But I think Providence had another plan and came here to study those two things, languages and engineering. But I also joined the choir. And eventually that led to, I shifted over to music education instead because it was that creative outlet that I experienced there. And my sophomore year, my one of my friends... Um, dared me to audition for the student-led um, drama group, touring company, which was Destiny Drama Company. Dared you? Dared me. This? Okay. I'm going to audition for this, and I, and I dare you to, to do it as well. And I was like, gotcha. what is that, and what do they do? I had no idea what they were. And he was some punk guy, and of course, I took the dare, and I went up there. I had no idea what I was doing. I just went up, they had a, a little scripted piece that everybody did, and I just showed up like you do when you're young and full of moxie, and and I did it, and it was the most comfortable experience I had ever had. Like, I felt like I was where I belonged, mm, so to speak. It felt right. It felt right, yeah. It, there was nothing awkward or... I wasn't afraid or, or anything like that. 
And it's so interesting because that's been a common theme yeah. in, in your experiences. And I think many people have a different experience of, you know, when they're putting themselves out there and being vulnerable and in front of people. Yeah. Oftentimes that's very difficult. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it definitely is. And you know, it's, I've, I've discovered through the years and also my encounter with other actors and colleagues that many of us, and this is true for me, that many of us experience uh, social anxiety. Like if we're within a group or something, uh, we find ourselves having difficulty holding conversations for very long or just feeling socially awkward but we feel at home when we're on stage. And it's the oddest thing because of what you just expressed, which is a lot of people have stage fright. And that's not to say that we don't have stage fright because we do have stage fright as well. Um, we experience anxiety right before we go on stage or right before we open a production or right before the first shot or right before the close-up. There's a, there's a lot of anxiety that you have to navigate. Um, but we've just become skilled at it. That still doesn't take away the fact that this is where we feel right. And I guess that's the predominant experience for me, which is this is where I feel right, hmm. where I feel competent, where I feel very connected. And, and also very connected to a character or to a story. Um, very connected to the audience. Is any part of that because you, it's more clear what your role is or what you're supposed to do? Is that any part of it? Like you talked about the dichotomy, dichotomy between sort of social situations versus being on stage or in front of the camera. I'm just trying to mm -hmm, understand mm -hmm. better. Um, maybe. Uh, there's also this thing about getting lost in the role or getting lost in pretend. And and it being scripted does help, absolutely. Y you know the journey of the character, although you have to pretend that you don't know the journey, you know, at, at, so you have to go through the journey. Um, but, um, yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's part of it. Um, but I, I think it removes, for many of us, or I, I, at least for me, it removes me from reality for, for a moment. And it just helps me to take whatever life experience I have and just to allow it to free flow out of me onto an audience without that filter, without worrying about what you're going to think, because it really doesn't matter. This is a performance and this is, and maybe all of that sounds more complicated than what it really is because I, you know, we just step out and we just do. <laughs> you get and, to be somebody else though. Yeah. Kind of, right? Yeah, you do. And you get to exercise all the, the things that you don't, you're not allowed to exercise in real life, I guess. So that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. So you auditioned for the college uh, drama troupe. Uh huh. And it seemed like it went well. Uh huh. What happened then? I was cast 
which I didn't expect. I just went up there to be an idiot. <laughs> and uh, I was cast, and then I was caught. Was your friend cast also? The one who dared you? Yes. Okay. They, they were. They were. But they don't have an acting career now. Okay. <laughs> After I was cast, I had my very first experience of conflict of interest. Okay. Because Explain that. Um, what was your conflict of interest? Well, in the acting world, you're constantly working in the same in, in film production or television production, you're constantly pounding the pavement and, and you know, trying to get the next gig, the next job. And all of a sudden you will can find yourself having booked something and then another job comes around that's more remunerative. Or it's a better opportunity in, in some sort of fashion. It's more meaningful to you or it, it's just something that's much more appealing than what you've already booked. And so you have to negotiate, okay, how do I get out of this one so that I can do the other one? So that's very interesting because that, that happens, I think, across the board for yes. people working in these kinds of fields. All the time. And so what, what you're saying, though, is that you have to make decisions based on limited information before mm -hmm. all of the options that eventually present themselves have presented themselves. Yes. And then, so now you're stuck in a situation where now you know all the opportunities, but you've already said yes mm -hmm. to, to one. Mm -hmm. So so what did you do? So here I am. I've been cast in, in Destiny Drama, which I know nothing about, which I, I, I you know, and I'm at the same time I'm committed. And Destiny Drama is the college. Yes, group. the college. Yeah. yeah, and it's student led, right. so it's the student led group that that tours around the southeast to different schools and does these drama productions. And at that time, I had just committed to the radio station to be one of their announcers, with the opportunity to have like some sort of managerial experience that was really appealing to me because I thought, well, I could do that. I could work for a classical radio station and possibly teach. You know, I was trying to figure out my, my professional path at that moment. So I was committed to, to the NPR station. Right. I said yes to a job there. And I also committed myself to be a part of the small... Uh, more elite choral group right. that that did touring at the time. So suddenly you have all these options I, and you're saying yes to everything. Yes, and I had said yes to those other two, which worked, coincided with each other very well, and one was paying, like an actual job. And if I said yes to this acting troupe, I would lose my job. And I could potentially have difficulties and challenges in the music department, which was my major. I could lose recommendations from, from that department, from the chairman. I mean, I was just in a world of trouble if I took, if I took the drama troupe. And in true form of an actor, I said yes to the drama troupe, called NPR, and I backed out of the job. And then I went to the the dean of the school of music, and I backed out of his elite choral group, and it was just a big ordeal. I mean, both parties just went out flat out, told me that I would never get a recommendation from them, and 
And uh, so I had that to carry as a little 19-year-old, but I jumped into into that destiny drama thing, into that student-led drama group, completely in, and I never looked back. Do you feel like you made the right choice? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel, was that a good, like, growth experience? It sounds like it's the first time you really got to to do what you've been, what you've been, you know, drawn towards. I guess maybe in hindsight it's more clear that this is when you first got to do the thing that you're really doing now. Yeah. But maybe at the time it was just an, another one of the ways that you're exploring. I don't know. Is that self-expression? Yeah, yeah. I I think so. I, I I didn't foresee that being involved with the student-led touring company was going to lead to anything. Like I, nine-year-old Maria was still hearing, you know, Christians don't are not actors and, and, and there's no way that a Christian could be an actor and specifically a seventh day Adventist could be an actor, um, simply because the Sabbath was an issue. So that was always, that was always on my mind. And that was always, I guess, keeping me from really opening the door full open and seeing what was out there in the world or what was available or what was possible. Um, but then the university actually had something there that, yeah, that, that yeah. opened that, yeah. that door. That showed me, well, maybe it could be possible, but this way. Maybe I could do this, but this way. And at, at the time, it felt like I could do it as a hobby. Like I could create something at a church and, and we could do this stuff at church and that would fulfill this thing inside of me that somehow needs an outlet. And I couldn't really put my finger on it, what that was. All I knew is that I needed to be on the stage telling stories and as an actor specifically. It wasn't until later on that just by... I should say that a lot of things, the, the path to where I am today, I kind of fell into. I didn't, I didn't actually like plot it out and put it together. It wasn't until I fully quit teaching and decided that I wanted to pursue this that, that I started actually putting one foot in front of the other to pursue acting. Before that, it was just things that were placed in my path. And I just said, oh, okay, this is the next thing. Oh, okay, this is the next thing. You know, you you join Destiny. Mm -hmm. And then you just alluded to it wasn't until you quit teaching. Can you fill in sort of uh, yeah. what happened between when you joined the uh, yeah. drama team and then obviously you were doing more and other things? <laughs> yeah. Um, the student who was the director at the time, he was one of those students that was more mature than his age. A lot of people confused him or mistook him for being a faculty member, and um, which is pretty funny. That's the kind of guy that he was. But after my first year with Destiny, he encouraged me to direct, and I just didn't think that I had the chops to direct and I didn't have it in me to direct or nor the desire, but he kept putting that seed in my mind. He kept putting that out there, putting that out there. 
And then finally it was time for him to graduate. I think it was my junior year. It was time for him to graduate, and he asked me to replace him as the director. And it was just too overwhelming and too big, and I, I said no, that I, I wasn't going to do it. I couldn't do it. And so he passed it on to someone else. And which during that year, I did a lot of thinking and a lot of consideration as to whether or not I could direct um, because I was comparing myself to that previous director and he was so high on a pedestal that I didn't think that I could measure. But then a peer was doing it. Someone I considered a peer was directing and so my, the, it, it shifted my my paradigm shifted. Right. You felt like you had to sort of become that other person mm-hmm. if you were going to measure up. Yeah. Yeah. And so I saw that it was possible after the following year. And then they left and I had the opportunity to, to be a director. And I found that I, that I really enjoyed it and hated it at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what did you enjoy and what did you hate? Uh, of course, I love the creative process. I felt that I had an ability to be able to communicate to actors and to be able to... I loved composition. I loved composing uh, a story or being able to compose a scene and being able to block it and being able to know... I don't know, somehow I knew or I had the inst- some basic instincts of how to tell the story and how so you to... So liked, you liked putting putting the the scene together and putting the show together yeah Yeah. so what 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 other were there other things that you really enjoyed too or what what did you not like so much oh what i didn't like was the organization like organizing the trips and planning the trips and making sure that we had the money and making sure like all the so i know that i'm not producer quality (laughs) to produce something it's just not I I guess I could do it because I had to learn those skills but they're not what I like to do I I either want to write the story and and compose it or I want to act in someone else's story and those are the things that come natural to me and that I enjoy uh, regardless of how challenging it may be it doesn't matter if it's difficult, but those are the things that I enjoy. Gotcha. So it's interesting. I've been teaching for a little while now, and this is a super oversimplified way of seeing things, but I've, I've noticed that um, people tend to be a little more strategic or they tend to be a little more intuitive. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that people aren't good, you know, across the board, but mm-hmm. it seems like most people fall at least somewhat on one side or the other of Mm -hmm. that, you know, of that spectrum. Yeah. And so it sounds like just hearing what you said that at at that time, certainly you felt more drawn to the creative and the things that were fulfilling uh, your creativity, your, and, and I guess to relate it to what I just said, Mm -hmm. that, that you felt satisfied and nourished when you were able to rely on your intuition, you know, and the, 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 the tasks that were more like uh, strategic, mm-hmm. that those were more of a chore. Yeah. Yeah. They were. They weren't something that I just jumped into happily. Right. But you know what's interesting is that, you know, like I said earlier that I was going in to do engineering. Um, 
I did have strategic tendencies or like I, I had these organizational tendencies mm. to me. And it wasn't until I, I, the directing forced those two sides together. Because right before I started directing, I was just totally intuitive because I was an actor and I didn't have to think about anything other than packing my bag before or getting, you know, stuff done before I, I went on a trip. But it was someone else's job to be strategic. And it wasn't until I had to be a director that that strategic side that had been left by the wayside had to come into play. And now the two, because you have to have both of them, if you're going to make a career out of this, True. you have to be, you have to have the strategic and you have to have the intuitive and the artistic. And in order to be able to put food on the table, you just have to accept that this is a business. And Yeah, so, and I think so many people in the arts, it, 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 for so many people, it feels wrong to think yeah. of, of it that way. Yeah. And a lot of times it's so tied into people's feelings of self-worth mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and all of this stuff. But yeah, yeah that, that's a, it's a common, it's a common problem, I yeah. think. Yeah. You have to make peace with both of them and understand that they both go, that, that it all goes hand in hand. Right. Um, at the end of the day, you're an independent contractor. And if you're, like I said, if you're going to keep a roof over your head and put food on the table and, and, you know, try and enjoy a little bit of life and, and get that cup of coffee every once in a while, <laughs> um, you have to put it all together. And eventually you learn. I mean, it, through a lot of hard knocks, you learn the strategies and you, and you learn when is the time to let myself go and to be artistic and when is the time to, I have to put my producer hat on or I have to put my, you know, my accountant hat on. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So you became director and it sounds like that that was difficult in some ways, but it was a real growing opportunity for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I loved it. I, I loved how it stretched me. Yeah, that was a really great experience. So... Uh, at some point, you graduated, <laughs> uh, and then you went right on to a big career as an actor, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, no, I, you know, I still had those hang-ups, obviously. Um, all the while, what I was studying was music education and a minor in religion. And I thought, what I will do is I can be a Bible teacher and possibly teach music. Although I really wasn't interested in teaching music. I was interested in being musical, but not interested in teaching it. And I thought I could be a drama teacher at some school somewhere. And um, I had enough experience running, being a part of that student-led program that I thought, okay, I could work at one of the Seventh-day Adventist high schools, and then I can offer this package to somebody and and that's what they I was sought after because a lot of these principals in a lot of these schools we went to these schools and and these principals saw it and or saw my work so it was a really interesting 
experience in that I learned also through this process, I learned networking. That networking is it, and it's because if none of these principals and none of these superintendent of schools had seen me, had experienced my work, then the likelihood of them taking a chance on hiring me would have been small as compared to once I was about to graduate and I put my resume out there, I was sought after because these schools wanted to create. They were looking for the opportunity to be able to create something like Southern had in terms of drama ministry. So it was a really affirming time and I was able to pick and choose and Obviously, the school that offered me the best prospect was Mount Pisgah Academy. And, and it, it, it was going to hire both of us, both my husband and I. So you got married at some point. Yeah. We got married right after college, right after we graduated. And we went to Mount Pisgah Academy where I was teaching and I was also developing. I created my own drama ministry and developing a rapport with the schools and the region in which Mount Pisgah Academy existed. And, um, and because I had so much moxie and I had a lot to prove and I had a lot of naysayers around me at, at, at the school, um, I, I went with it. I went at it with a lot of gusto, and, which was a really great learning tool or lesson, I should say, for whenever I stepped out, finally stepped out to pursue an acting career because that's how you have to go after it. If you're going to do anything in this business, you kind of have to go against the, against the current. Yeah. You're going to be going against the current, whether it's your thoughts, whether the strongest current are your, your thoughts, your naysaying, your own negative thoughts, or your family's negative thoughts or negative, you know, whatever naysayers are around and wh- however they manifest themselves. Yeah. And um, so I stepped in and, and, I, and I created something and was successful. So the, the things that you'd done with Destiny made mm-hmm. you attractive to the various places that you'd applied, mm-hmm. sounds like, which is maybe a little counterintuitive. I think that's not necessarily the first thing that everybody would expect. Like, the person who was going to study engineering being sought after because of these other things, right? So it sounds like it puts you in a really good place as far as being a position of being able to choose where you wanted to go. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, it sounds like there was not everybody seemed like on board with um, some aspects of what you were planning or doing or so Tell me more about that. You mentioned you had naysayers. What, um, what, what were the naysayers saying? <laughs> well, um, the biggest naysayer is just is my own self-esteem and my own self-worth at the, at the time. I was young, and this was all new, and I was stepping out uh, to create something all on my own uh, to a certain degree for a school for a at the time, uh, you know, Mount Pisgah Academy was a highly recognized school within the Seventh-day Adventist school system. So, you know, all of that pressure was on me. So there's that. And then the other thing, too, is I was just a young teacher fresh out of college. 
I mean, I was barely just a few years older than my students. <laughs> and as you remember. Yes. Um, yeah, and just basically appear to my students. And so navigating that and... And not only not only am I fresh out of college, but I look like a twelve year old too. So having to overcome those are the things to overcome. Um, and then there are the ch- there were the challenges with colleagues mm. because there were there were colleagues that were were very well established in their organizations that they had built or or they inherited and were had to you know had the the responsibility of maintaining and growing and, and, and keeping it going. So, so not to put a, too fine a point on it, but you're talking about other extracurriculars like gymnastics or yes. band or choir, mm-hmm. various things that already have a footprint in the yes. student's schedule yes. and maybe a footprint in the budget and, and other places. Mm-hmm. And you're competing sort of for that same footprint. There's mm-hmm. not like new territory that you can strike out into. Now, you you kind of are having to claim it from, well, you're in the other side of the situation where, you know, when you were in college, you'd Mm -hmm. said yes to all these things Mm -hmm. and suddenly you had to go back and say, no, you may have been forcing students now to do that. Yes. Like you were asking them to go to the other places that they'd committed to and say, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so there's that. You're, you're facing that challenge. And so with there are limited resources. There's limited talent. All of these larger organizations, like the band and gymnastics and choir, they have their pool of talent that they have to vie for as well. Right. And so for me, to, this newbie, to step in and to, to draw from their pool of talent... That was a point of contention for for a couple of individuals, a couple of colleagues, um, and there was also a co- there were also a couple of colleagues that from the very first day that they met me, they expressed to me that what I was attempting to do to develop a touring drama group out of the school was never going to happen. Because and that it was impossible, um, because number one, nobody cares, and number two, um, one of them said, "I tried, I tried many years, and it never, and never took off. It just falls apart, and nobody cares." So you know, you say that to this girl, this young girl who's trying to prove herself, and on top of everything else, I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> so that sort of kicks in and I, you know, I think to myself, oh yeah, well watch me. <laughs> so, right. so, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting because in that first year I pushed so hard to get a little talent, a little group of talent. And they were, I mean, we were six to eight and I was accustomed to Destiny where we were almost 20 in, in a company. I had no idea what I was going to do with this little tiny group, but I figured it out. I figured out without meaning to, without having any education in theater, I figured out minimalist theater <laughs> on my own, and uh, which I love, especially after, after going back to school and studying theater. Um, 
I, I just tripped upon it and it, it just evolved for me. And in that first year, we were able to tour to a bunch of places, which created a lot of anxiety and angst in some of the leaders of the other organizations. So that hostility being present during the years that I was running that group were a really great school for the hostility that you experience in in the craft and in because it is an art form and there's a lot of egos that you have to contend with your own ego at times uh, the egos of directors and producers and just a bazillion other people that you have to figure out how are we going to tell the story and be able to work with each other so it was just a really, all of these things that came into my life were all stepping stones and preparing me for when, whenever I had the opportunity to step out. Were any of the objections um, like theological? And what was the name of your troop there? I'm trying to Present remember. Truth. I thought so, uh-huh. yeah, I, but I, was, I didn't have enough confidence. To, <laughs> yeah. I trust your memory more than I trust my own. (laughs) That's probably not wise. But but, uh, so, yeah, with present truth, people's objections to that, um, were any of them doctrinal or like it was wrongheaded from a a theological or religious standpoint? Yeah. Yeah, there was some of that. Um, But I heard that more from constituents or parents. Uh, Not so much from administration or colleagues? No, definitely not from administration, because administration wanted it. Right. Um, They were were on board from the beginning. Yes. Yeah. Um, And I didn't hear it from from faculty, Um, although there were a couple of faculty members that objected to maybe some of the sketches or the scenes that we did. like they may have may have objected to some of the music we might have used, um, but I didn't experience a lot of objection theological that was based on theology or doctrine, per se, um, from the staff or from the faculty. It it, it had more to do with egos. <laughs> I see. It had more to do with egos and um, just. You know, when you're established and you and you find yourself that you've been fighting for certain amenities or you've been fighting for just for money or for, for mm-hmm. the ability to be able to tour, be able to use certain equipment or something like that. Yeah. When you've been fighting tooth and nail for things and then along comes this little upstart, yeah. you know, and seems to be pushing past you yeah um that creates that that just creates problems it, it, it yeah. creates issues for, well and the for thing people. is i think as you can probably relate to is you're you're a peer in a sense to those other people because all of you are sort of trying to carve out a space mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and i don't think that you are successful at being in a leadership position doing one of those things unless you're fairly good at sort of uh, proactively dealing with threats or adversity Mm -hmm. to your organization, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, so there's, there is, 
the environment, the situation sort of pits you against yeah. each, each other a little yeah. bit. And yeah. some of the same things that motivated you probably also motivated them at one time, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Um, although you're right, their organizations, uh, there is a difference, I think, in that their organizations probably enjoyed a more unquestioned footing. Mm -hmm. I can relate to this as being a coordinator of a film program mm -hmm. at an Adventist institution. Yeah. You know, nobody ever thinks about the music program going away, but people can imagine the film program yes. going away or the yes. drama company going away. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I, I think that's an interesting and very specific challenge that we have being, being or having been and, and being part of an organization that's, specifically that that leans a little more conservative doctrinally right uh traditionally it has leaned that way although things are changing which i'm grateful for um but yeah that's that's a specific that's an interesting challenge that we have that someone who wishes to do this art form doesn't experience if if they're in the public sector you know right Right. Yeah. And artists already have a tough, you know, it's, yeah. you know, and so it's sort of stacking on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you were teaching, you had a, a drama team that came to an end at some point. Mm -hmm. What, tell us about that. Well, after Mount Pisgah Academy, we, we were there for a few years and then we went to another academy. How, how long were you there and went from what I'm just... We, this is mostly just to satisfy my own curiosity <laughs> yeah, and yeah. memory. So we were there five years. Okay. And um, we decided that we needed a change because, unfortunately, the, the situation was that there, there was just no breathing room. There was no let up in an academy setting, in a boarding school setting. Uh, the limited funds create a situation where you're kind of overworked. And um, it, we needed a break. And so after five years, we decided to, to leave. And we got hired at another boarding academy that offered us uh, employment that wasn't as, um, that allowed us to have a family life, mm. that allowed us to have a home life. Um, so we took a job at Mississippi, in, near Hattiesburg, Mississippi, at uh, Bass Memorial Academy. Okay, I didn't realize that, or if I knew it, I'd forgotten. Yeah, so. it's um, it's about thirty minutes outside of Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Okay. And he was hired full time, and they hired me part time. And during my time there at Mount Pisgah Academy, because I was the drama teacher, I don't know how these schools know what a teacher teaches and, and how they, I don't know. There's big brother somehow knows and communicates to other universities. Yeah. There's a teacher teaching this specific subject matter at this teeny tiny school in the middle of North Carolina. And I started getting, you know, um, brochures and, and pamphlets and so on from acting schools. And of course I start, I'm curious and I'm reading them and I'm reading about, you know, the Tisch School of Performing Arts, and I'm reading about NYU, and I feel a yearning to go to school. And I started asking this, 
Mount Pisgah Academy if I could take a sabbatical and maybe go away for a few years and come back because I felt like I had reached my limit, you know, directing and teaching a drama, a touring drama company. I wanted more. I wanted, I knew that just like music, there's theory and there is uh, a history to theater, Right. which when I was studying music, music history touches on it. You know, that whole troubadour history that the church... It's interesting because music history is very interconnected with theater history. Mm. And... Yeah, I can see that. Theater actually started, was somewhat started by the church at the time, which was the Catholic Church. Right. Because during the Middle Ages, uh, the average person did not read. And so the way that they spread the gospel was they would build this little wagon and there were a group of troubadours in that would go from town to town and they would tell the, the ascension story or the birth story or the nativity or, you know, that's how people learned of the gospel. And it's so interesting that, you know, we get into the 1960s and, and 70s and so on and all of a sudden acting and on, you know, in the church is so shunned. Yeah. Um, when the origins of acting actually stem from, not, not all of it, but some of it stems from the church itself. It was a mechanism and a tool that they used to be able to spread the gospel. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I, d- I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Um, I mean, it's history, theater history has, I mean, further back, I mean, it goes way back into, into Greek history um, it was just a way of, of telling stories and telling stories of whether it be of religion or whether it be of the national history or whether it be, you know, any, any number of things. M- many civilizations used acting or storytelling as a way to communicate. Um, and it was a mechanism that was used to communicate any number of things. You went to Bath, but mm-hmm. then it sounds like, uh, I, I don't know what you did next, but it sounded like you were interested in going back to school. Yeah. So did you, you did that? Yes. Okay. It, it just so happens that because they couldn't hire me full time, I decided that I was going to go to school for theater. Wait. Bath could not hire you full time? No, they couldn't. They could only hire my husband full time. Oh, I see. And so they hired me to teach a class. And so I decided I'm going to go back to school. And it just so happens that Hattiesburg is 30 minutes away. And the University of Southern Mississippi is there. And they had an MFA program, a theater program. And they had just finished building their performing arts building. Oh, wow. So it's a brand new theater, three brand new theater spaces. Um, I mean, a proper props room, a proper um, set building space, a a proper costume, a proper, I mean, just a proper everything, brand new lights, brand new equipment. It was just beautiful, beautiful. And I got accepted and I was the very first class to um, 
oh, what's the word? To christen. Okay, uh, yeah. I was, I was a part of the very first class to, to christen the, the new space. Oh, wow. And it was just electrifying. And my world just exploded. I fell in love with every aspect of theater that you could imagine. And I've never looked back in the sense of I went there because I wanted to be educated and I went there with the intent of I want to be okay so let me preface let me go back just a little bit having grown up as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian and having having grown up with this understanding that as a Christian if I wanted to be faithful to God that I could not be an actor and I could not do theater in the traditional sense I discovered a path that I could be able to do this craft in a religious setting, in a church setting, or for a school. I got to a point where what I was doing based on solely, solely, based solely on experience was not enough. I wanted more. I knew there was more. I knew there, that I could do this differently, that I could do this more professionally or or that I could do it with better education and I thought that if I could the other thing that I also noticed is that no one who was running a a, a drama ministry whether it be in the church system or in the educational system no one was no one was degreed right no one was educated it was all Informal. Yes, it was yeah. all informal. It was all by experience, which is fine. But I felt like, you know, this is a craft. And, and if, if the people, if my professors who taught music had PhDs in music, they, Southern would have never hired them just based on experience. They had to be hired. They had to have a PhD. They had to, at the very least, have an MFA. And I thought, it, and the same was true if they taught at a high school level or at the music level. You have to have a K through 12 certification to teach music at any of those levels. And so I thought, if I'm teaching drama, why should that not be expected out of me? And why should I not have that? So after, after Mount Pisgah Academy, when I was receiving all those pamphlets, I, I, I kind of, it kind of whet my appetite to go to school. And I felt that I could go to school and get educated and I could come back and I would be better prepared and I could build something. So it was all with the intention of teaching, directing, and building something in the Seventh-day Adventist school system. Right. So I went to the University of Southern Mississippi um, to get my bachelor's because I, it, I wasn't... They couldn't accept me as an MFA because I had to have a minor. At the very least, I had to have a minor in theater. So I went in intent on getting a minor so that I could get my MFA, but I ended up, I was only so few, I was so few credits shy of having a bachelor's that I decided I'll just do the bachelor's because it would only take me two years to get my bachelor's since I already had a bachelor's. Oh, I see. So... I went in and 
this is where acting started becoming a possibility because I went in with a directing emphasis and they were holding auditions for a show. And, and part of the process of getting your bachelor's is you have to take acting classes. You have to. You can't be a director and not know acting. So I, I, I took these acting classes, and, and in acting class, the professors that are teaching in that class are the professors that are directing the productions. And the students, the... Um, the MFA students that are working for those professors are also teaching some of those undergrad classes. Right. So I get up front and I'm doing the acting exercises and they're inviting me, you need to, why aren't you auditioning for the productions? I, I was constantly getting berated by my professors and the, the graduate students to audition, to audition, to audition. And finally, one of my professors just... I'm not going to use the language that he used, but he basically said, are you going to stink in audition or what? Because I'm going to petition that they kick you out of the program unless you audition. So I went and I auditioned, and of course I loved it. And I was cast for a show, and um, it was really hard because I was confronted with my faith. I was confronted with the Sabbath and I, so, I, I was, so was really that in a what quandary. was keeping you from auditioning? Yes. Okay. I see. What was keeping me from auditioning, from participating in being an actor in the show, was the Sabbath. Gotcha. And I, it, 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 I had to come to terms with that there. I explained it to my professor, and I, I asked if there was any way that I could not not do it like on Friday and on Saturday, you know, trying to figure something right. out. And he just cackled. <laughs> he laughed at me and he said, honey, either you do theater or you don't. But theater is Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's the bulk of our profession. It's when those are our work days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You may not work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but you can't get into the theater and not work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then he said, your church thing that you do, when do you do it? And I said, Friday and Saturday. Right. And he said, so what's the difference? Oh, your drama. Yeah, my drama professor, right. my right. acting professor. No, no but your, your... Oh, my drama ministry, like truth yeah. and all of those things. You're, present Truth you're and the one that, that the I did days. at Bass, yeah, because yeah, they eventually asked me to do one at Bass as well. And that was his point. So what's the difference? And there's a difference in the sense that one is glorifying God and the other one is telling a story that isn't directing you towards God or so I thought at the time yeah but it was the first time that I was confronted with that either you're going to do this or you're not and you have to decide what you're going to do so while I was there at the University of Southern Mississippi I learned about CITA C-I-T-A it's called Christians in Theater Arts and Christians in Theater Arts is this conference or convention, so to speak, where all of these Christians that are working as professional actors in the world 
um, come in and we have a conference and we, we see drama ministry. And, and it was, I went to it one year and it was really eye-opening. Because here, for the first time, I was surrounded by a few hundred professional actors, professional directors, producers, theater owners, who are all Christians, and who are doing theater, commercial theater, and some of them are doing drama ministry, but they're all doing theater, and they all are serving God in the profession that they do. And I was, I was, it was the first time that I was hearing that from Christians. Now, I don't know if there were any Seventh-day Adventists in there, but it didn't matter to me at the time because these were Christians who were making a living doing what they felt called to do and feeling wholly blessed and anointed by God in so doing. And what finally opened the door for me was an actor who at the time had just finished um, who had just finished playing Jean Valjean on Broadway's Les Mis. Oh, wow. And he came up and he told his story about how he arrived there, how he became a Broadway actor. And his story was just like mine. He wasn't a Seventh-day Adventist, but it was just like mine, where... He was, I, I think he was working at, he was a part of Willow Creek. Okay. Yeah. And so he got involved, I think it was Willow Creek, but it, it was one of those churches up there in, in, in Chicago, the big, you know, where drama ministry is a really big deal and, and, and they write scripts and they sell scripts and so on. And he was talking about the drama ministry that he was doing, but he felt called to leave and he felt called to do professional theater. And he got a lot of flack from, from members of the church and, and telling him, saying things to him, you're going out into the world and you're going into Sodom and Gomorrah. You're going out into when you should be doing this for God's honor and glory. And he didn't know why, but he went against all of, all of those messages because he felt deeply that that's what he needed to do. And so he stepped out, and he realized that he realized that as long as Christians only do their craft for church, we're only feeding the fat. Where are the Christians in the world? Where are the Christian theater artists and movie makers and voiceover artists? And where are the Christians out there? Aren't we supposed to minister to everyone in the world? Why do we insist on just staying here? That doesn't mean that I, as a professional theater actor, can't do drama ministry in my church, which many of them do. But it was the first time, and I felt that he was speaking to me, and I felt validated. For the first time, I felt permission. Yes, you've been given this task, and yes, you can go out there and do it. There was something that was a foregone conclusion for a long time, mm -hmm. which is basically that <clears throat> what you were doing had to look a certain way if it's if it was going to be acceptable. And mm -hmm. then you were presented with this model that basically ascribed to a totally different paradigm mm -hmm. that you had not considered before. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that sounds like that felt really freeing. Yeah. So, oh man, these are um, these are really important conversations. You know, the 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 one interview that I have have done prior to this is with a current student, mm-hmm. and uh, I asked him, you know, when you graduate, what are you gonna, you know, w- w- what kind of work are you going to try to pursue? And he said, well, you know. Uh, uh, writing, directing, and editing were the things that he he listed off. And then when I asked him, well, you know, when I'm out and talking with people, uh, what do you want me to try to discover on your behalf? And he said, well, I, I want to know how to get started as an actor. And I said, hold on. Uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> that's not what it's, you just said a minute ago. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because this student, from the first time I talked with him long before he was a student you know he expressed an interest in acting Mm -hmm. and he's actually you know we shot a feature last summer and he's in it you know he's one of the main roles in it and he's really good I I can't help but thinking of his uh, as I've listened to your story Mm -hmm. like I just see little echoes you know and I have no doubt that if he pursues that it well i i shouldn't say i have now no doubt if you're doing theater and stage it seems impossible to avoid uh sabbath essentially i think working um on camera it would still be difficult but perhaps a little there would it'd be slightly easier to navigate i think on camera than on stage yeah it is because you know a lot of uh, a, a lot of the the film and television community is made up by uh, people who are Jewish. And so yeah. there are a lot of Sabbath keepers. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, at least on the projects that I've worked on, professional television series, they don't, they generally are done by 5 p.m. on Friday. I mean, they might go into sunset a little bit, but Saturday is a dark day. Generally, Saturday is a dark day. Saturday and Sunday, everybody gets Saturday and Sunday off, just just about. So for a Seventh-day Adventist, that's quite possible. Um, you know, I can't remember his name right now, but there was a, last year a well-known character actor, film and television character actor, passed away. He was like in his 80s or 90s. And what's interesting about his story is that he was, he was a really great professional theater actor, like vaudeville on mm. Broadway and so on. And he was convicted of the Sabbath. Mm. Um, he became, he turned back to his faith and he started following his Jewish tradition and he was convicted of the Sabbath and he came to the place where he left theater completely, which is so hard. Mm. It's really difficult to walk away from if that's been your, you know, your life. And he decided to step out in faith and to see if he could make a living out of film and television and voiceover and in order for him to be able to keep the Sabbath. And he did. And he was very, very successful. And wow. I'll see if I can find... I know I have that bookmarked, that yeah. story, um, and I'll send it to you. It's it's something that I look at periodically 
that I try to remember because I'm at that crossroads right now where I'm feeling um, that I want to move out of theater and move more into film mm. and television. And in part, it in part it has to do with the Sabbath, but not because I feel that I am dishonoring God. But it has more to do with my my place in my faith, as in when I'm not doing theater, Saturday is a very sacred day for me, and there's something really special about it for me. And when I do theater, that Sabbath, when I don't have, not having that Sabbath is hard. And, and it can't be replaced with another day off. There's something, it's just the oddest thing. Yeah. I can't seem to be able to replace it with like a Monday off or, or something to that effect. It just never, it never feeds me the same way. So that's where I'm at in yeah. regards to the Sabbath. But, but yeah, I, I think Seventh-day Adventists Seventh-day Adventists are uniquely positioned have have a unique challenge, I should say, when it comes to acting. Because I have a lot of Christian friends in the acting community, uh, strong people of faith of all other denominations, whose church and whose Family and their community always supported acting. Right. And for some reason, the Seventh Day Adventist Church and that the Seventh Day Adventist community did not, it still does not, as witnessed by our college programs. You know, um, yeah, acting and dance are the two right. art forms that our college programs do not offer. And they shun or they push away or, or they just don't feel that it's, that it's uh, as important as music. Right. Music is deeply entrenched. And it's just a fascinating study to see how the Seventh-day Adventist Church has fully embraced music when all the challenges that dancers face and that actors face are also faced by musicians, I mean, there are ego issues, there are pride issues, there are, all, there are Sabbath issues, especially if you want to be a, 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 if you want to be a musician in a symphony, um, right. or if you want to be a, an opera singer, or you know, those are those are parts of the music aspect that lean toward that performance that are really difficult for a Seventh Day Adventist to navigate um and i don't feel like the church has done a very good job and they've done they've done a lot of the faithful a disservice by not allowing them a place to blossom and and a place to grow and it was one of the challenges that i had when i was at southern teaching i was trying to develop an acting program and it just it just wouldn't take there's definitely a perception and it's has at least some foundation, I think. And it depends, I think, maybe on how conservative somebody is, on mm -hmm. whether or not they think this is strictly true or not. But I think that there's a presupposition that dance and theater, there's no way to really pursue a career in those things and be an Adventist, mm -hmm. you know? And it sounds like you've confronted that really directly. Like you came to that 
moment where your teacher said, well, you you're, you either need to do this or we're going to kick you out of the program, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it, it sounds like, and th- this is maybe a, a loose interpretation of what you've said, tell me if I'm right or wrong, but there is at least some, um, you have to be willing to, I guess, embrace a different paradigm of what it means to keep the Sabbath. You can't look at it in that legalistic way of, mm-hmm. well, I'm definitely just not going to do this activity. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certainly some of the faithful that would just say, well, you just proved my point, you know. Um, what would you say to those people, I guess? We make exceptions for all manner of labor to happen on the Sabbath. Um, we've, for centuries, we've been making, well, centuries, <laughs> um, at least the Seventh-day Adventist faithful for many, many decades now have been making exceptions for people cooking on the Sabbath. That's work. Um, all kinds of work happens in the house during the Sabbath hours. There's there's cooking, there's setting the table, there's cleaning the dishes, there's, you know, all kinds of things that happen. You say food preparation, even like in a cafeteria, mm-hmm. you know, stu- uh, students will be working mm-hmm. in a cafeteria, mm-hmm. and many Adventists would go out to eat on a, on a Sabbath, but that's still considered sort of uh, verboten in some circles, I mm-hmm. would say, you mm-hmm. know, but... You know, what is the true difference between an Adventist being paid to prepare food on Sabbath Mm. on an Adventist campus Mm -hmm. and somebody somewhere else being paid to prepare food or to serve food? Yeah. And the same with the medical field. I mean, the the medical field has like a a free card, really, when it comes to working on the Sabbath. Right. Um, And what I would say is... The Sabbath wasn't made for God. It was made for man. And I think that I have finally found what, the, what that means. I understand what that means. I, my Sabbaths were awful when I was working for the church. When I was, when my husband was the chaplain at Bass Memorial Academy and I was working beside him and helping him run those Sabbath schools and those, and, and the Vespers and all the work that was involved and the pressure involved and all the organization and navigating and dealing with, with, you know, people who had more conservative views versus people who had more liberal views and everybody nitpicking. I mean, Sabbath did not feel like the day of rest. It didn't feel like a day of rest when we worked at Mount Pisgah Academy, and it didn't feel that way at the other school. And Sabbath feels like a day of rest for me now because even though Saturdays are generally a two-show day, I step into it. Here's, here's what happens is I understand that God has opened these doors for me. Sure, I've been doing the work, but God opened the doors. God could have closed all of these doors, but he didn't. He opened them, and he allowed me to pass through them, and he gave me a task. And so this is my task, and I do it 
to his honor and to his glory. And the church where I bring him to is the theater. And before every performance, I take a moment alone in the space before the house opens, and I invite God to be present. And I pray that what I do will be worthy of him, and that his light will shine through the story that we tell. People come to the theater seeking refuge. They come to the theater to escape the pain that they're suffering. They come to the theater to escape confusion. They come to the theater to be together with a community that's involved and invested in a story. They come to get lost in a story. They come to escape being judged, to disappear and just be present with a story. That sounds like church to me. And so I offer it up as church. Every time I offer it up as church, I make myself an open vessel so that his light will shine through me. And I, and I, and I, sum, I submit all of my cast members to him. And I've had the privilege and the occasion of letting people know right before we open a show or first preview, I let people know, hey, I'm going to be over there in the corner if anybody wants to gather together to put out good vibes in the space. Let me know. The Christians in the group come and they pray. The non-Christians just stand and they just want to be in collection. You know, they, they just want to be in community with each other. The theater is very spiritual. Everybody in the theater carries, because we all believe in the supernatural somehow. We believe that there is this spirit because we feel it. We feel that spirit that moves through us, in us, and out of us. And, when that, and that's why we keep coming back because we feel that spirit. So we feel very much that this is a supernatural place where supernatural things happen. And it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to be a part of. And every time I am convicted that God needs his voice in every corner of the earth. And if I don't do it, who will? It's my calling for right now. And as a, and as a person who's trying to get better at improvising, <laughs> I'm also called to improvise, meaning I have to be ready that if he calls me to someplace else to do something else, that mm. I let this go and I move on. Mm. And I'm totally okay with that because he's shown me that he's the one that opens the door. That's really beautiful. Yeah. That, that change of paradigm that you alluded to earlier from hearing the testimony of the guy who had played Jean Valjean. Mm -hmm. um, like I, for me, anyway, that was a very uh, meaningful and eloquent conveyance of your thoughts and, mm -hmm. of your, and the way that you experience all of that. That's really beautiful. Yeah. 
All right, we're going to press pause on this interview for now, and we'll pick up the rest of it in the next episode. Next time, we're going to hear more about working as an actor in Atlanta. We're also going to hear about the moment of decision towards really fully pursuing the dream of acting and also other things for actors like how to stay emotionally healthy as an actor and how to set good boundaries for yourself. All of that next time on Pictures Up. <laughs>